from New York City, this is John Brown Today, a podcast with your host, Louis A. DeCaro, Jr. In 1859, John Brown the abolitionist sat in a jail cell in Charleston, Virginia, today West Virginia, after failing to launch a liberation movement in the South. His famous raid on Harper's Ferry that October has often been misrepresented as insurrection, although in fact his seizure of the Federal Armory was more a political symbol than it was a strategic part of his plan, which actually was to lead as many enslaved people away, fighting only in self-defense. After his defeat by U.S. Marines on the morning of Tuesday, October 18th, the abolitionist and several of his surviving men were transported to the seat of Jefferson County in Charlestown, where they were incarcerated and scheduled for a quick trial, the intention of slaveholders being to execute them almost immediately. Brown was sorely wounded in the final onslaught, brutally beaten by his Marine attacker after he had fallen. Another Marine also stabbed him with a bayonet while he lay helpless, as if poking at the body of a fallen animal after a hunt. Brown's attacker left the scene cursing, upset, that he had not been able to kill him despite bludgeoning him after he had fallen to the ground. Despite suffering an apparent concussion and deep wounds, Brown survived the ordeal and was rushed through a trial along with his men, the apparent intention of the Virginians being to hang him within days of his defeat. In fact, the abolitionist was spared a quick execution only because one of his lawyers was aware that Virginia law allowed for immediate trial and execution only when an alleged insurrection was in progress. Brown thought the verdict unjust, but was content that he could somehow compensate for his failure by offering his life. He was found guilty on November 2nd and sentenced to die in one month, the soonest the Virginians could put a noose around his neck. However, Brown was never entirely safe in his jail cell, since the town was full of angry, vengeful, and drunken Virginians calling for his blood. It was into this wrathful, tense, and whiskey-infused setting that Edward Ned House ventured into Charlestown as the undercover journalist for Horace Greeley's New York Daily Tribune. While a number of journalists from the North and the South had managed to reach Harper's Ferry immediately following the raid, Northern newspapers were generally banned from Charlestown throughout John Brown's trial and incarceration. Of course, Pro-slavery northern papers were welcomed, especially the New York Herald, a right-wing journal whose editor, James Gordon Bennett, defended slavery and regularly employed the N-word in his editorial. Although the Herald sent reporters at points, Bennett largely had relied on local affiliate reporters, which proved key in introducing a great deal of misinformation and pro-slavery propaganda into the mainstream news. Henry Steele Olcott, Another Tribune journalist working undercover in Virginia later recalled that as a result of the Virginia ban, quote, the liberty of the press was for the first time practically destroyed in this country, end quote. With Brown's hurried trial and conviction, the Tribune's Greeley was disgusted, along with other Republicans who saw the heavy hand of the slaveholder upon the whole affair. However, His paper was banned in Virginia, and Greeley would just as likely have been hanged as Brown had the editor himself ventured into Charlestown. Fortunately for Greeley, he had a secret weapon in Ned House, a native Bostonian who had joined the Tribune staff as the music and theater critic, complete with Democratic Party credentials. House was in his early 20s, an autodidact with a background in music, theater, and banknote engraving, charming, handsome, 
and well-bred, he was later characterized as a dilettante bachelor, one of New York's original bohemians. Ned House was associated with this colorful group of men and women known for their accomplishments in literature, art, music, drama, war, and philanthropy. How Ned House exactly presented himself in Charlestown is not clear, but certainly he used his Democratic Party affiliation to play the role of a pro-slavery sympathizer and otherwise charmed his way into town, winning friends and confidences that got him into the jailhouse more than once. After successfully planting himself in Charlestown, House began to file secret correspondence to the Tribune up in New York City. He may have been able to send some of his initial correspondence by telegram without being apprehended, but he largely depended on other means to smuggle his correspondence to Greeley, such as passing his stories through intermediaries based in the vicinity or even hiding his reports in express money orders. It was a risky mission, but Ned House was able to file his reports fairly regularly from late October until the beginning of December 1859. His reports in the Tribune represent the only reliable anti-slavery reportage of John Brown's last days, entirely subverting the intentions of Virginia's slaveholding leadership. House's correspondence presents John Brown fairly, while at the same time portrayed the personalities and scenes of his Virginia captors with great detail and biting humor, the vital antidote to the propagandistic and self-justifying reportage of the pro-slavery press. Contrary to the pro-slavery press and its allies in the northern press, House showed that enslaved blacks were highly favorable toward Brown. Indeed, he showed them as intent on learning whatever they could of his fate, and likewise reported that they were busy setting fires on slaveholders' property throughout the abolitionists' incarceration. While Southern journalists were busy trying to skew Brown's character, or planting false stories about his disappointment with slaves, or presenting him as a man on the verge of repentance, House showed him as an undaunted, resilient, and quietly pleased with reports that he had managed to unsettle the South. Quote, he has been told how Virginia quakes and that almost the whole South trembles in sympathy, House reported. Imprisoned, nevertheless, Brown had seen, quote, the frightened fury which has spread over the neighborhood of the scene of his exploit, the entire state of Virginia blinded with madness and thrilled through all its limits with a reckless terror. All this Brown knows and is consoled by it, but he shows no exultation over it, simply speaking of it earnestly and tranquilly, end quote. Following Brown's conviction, the town of Charleston was gradually filled with armed militia as Virginia's leadership increasingly worried over allegations of an abolitionist invasion from the north, although local slaveholders probably were more fearful of a black uprising. As the little town began bursting at the seams with an unprecedented military presence, House filed delightful reports of the panic, prejudice, and malicious expressions that truly characterized a paranoid and pretentious slaveholding community. Ned House was playing with fire. His correspondence in the Tribune did not go unnoticed in Virginia. In fact, at first, his reports were taken as the fictional work of a journalist writing up in New York City. But when it became clear to the Virginians that there was a Tribune man in their midst, it became increasingly an obsession to discover him. Despite heightening danger, House only intensified his reportage, even reporting with delight that he was quite present in Charlestown, enjoying the hospitality of his Virginia hosts. 
He continued poking and prodding the Virginians in his reports, and yet was never suspected. Instead, the Virginians turned upon other Northerners present in Charlestown, including one of John Brown's lawyers and an artist from an illustrated newspaper, ultimately driving them out of town. In response, House filed mocking, derisive reports that showed the Virginians as petty and cowardly. When an outraged military officer became so angry, he tore a copy of the Tribune in his teeth. Of course, House enjoyed that scene, delightfully reporting the incident in his next smuggled installment. As December 2nd, the day of execution, approached, tensions mounted in Charlestown, and the journalist described how the town had become restricted by martial law and burdened by a large military presence. Mocking the empty fears of soldiers and civilians alike, House described the dangers surrounding Charleston as, quote, a cow or so, and here and there a predatory pig, but nothing beyond, end quote. Readers in New York were delighted by Ned House's reports, which were quickly reprinted in anti-slavery newspapers throughout the North. They were likewise moved by House's descriptions of John Brown based upon actual conversations with the prisoner and his own growing admiration for the doomed abolitionist. Indeed, it was John Brown, the center of all this fear and fury, who seemed the most at peace and the most assured of his work. In some sense, it seems the abolitionist had become the captor of Charlestown, although chained in his jail cell. Unfortunately for House, toward the end of November, pro-slavery associates in Boston began to raise his name in reports, and it seemed to him that it was only a matter of time before he would be discovered. He had a number of close calls, especially when he was recognized by a small number of brave Bostonians who had ventured to Virginia to visit John Brown. However, House managed to remain in Charlestown long enough to witness the abolitionists hanging, and then filed his last report from Baltimore before returning to New York City. With John Brown dead, Ned House wrote, The tension in Charlestown had broken like a string that snapped. As to Brown, he provided a forgotten eulogy still worthy of the historical record. Losing, he bowed before his destiny, though never despairing, even in the midst of hopes overthrown. He died game, and his death honored the instrument of shame upon which he met it. Ned House went on to enjoy a colorful career, traveling to Paris and then covering the Civil War, after personally witnessing the very first casualty of the conflict when his friend, Major Ephraim Elmer Ellsworth, was gunned down by an angry rebel in Virginia in 1861. In later years, House lived and worked in Meiji, Japan, where he adopted a Japanese child, although remaining a bachelor for the rest of his life a prominent 19th century literary figure in his own right. His life, especially in Asia, is the subject of James L. Huffman's wonderful book, A Yankee in Meiji, Japan, the crusading journalist Edward H. House. In my own book, Freedom's Dawn, The Last Days of John Brown in Virginia, I have explored his amazing journalistic feat, an anti-slavery journalist for the New York Daily Tribune, hidden in plain sight in a little southern town whose one great mission was to kill John Brown. In writing about Brown's last days in Virginia, it was interesting for me to observe how historians had entirely overlooked this young journalist's role in the story. After over 160 years, in the pages of the Tribune, one may still find a significant body of his journalistic coverage, writing that defied the repression of the press at a time when pro-slavery influence threatened to overtake the nation. Nethouse not only provided a singularly fair, 
an honest and detailed account of John Brown's last days for history, but also showed what happens to a nation that draws its existence from theft of labor, racial oppression, and reactionary right-wing politics. It was an unlikely victory for a theater critic, but one that should never be forgotten. From New York City, this is Louis A. DeCaro Jr., and this is John Brown Today.